Section four of Over Prairie Trails by Frederick Philip Grove. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Dawn and Diamonds. Two days before Christmas, the ground was still bare. I had a splendid new cutter with a top and side curtains, a heavy outfit, but one that would stand up, I believed, under any road conditions. I was anxious to use it too, for I intended to spend a two weeks' holiday up north with my family. I was afraid if I used the buggy, I might find it impossible to get back to town, seeing that the first heavy winter storms usually set in about the turn of the year. School had closed at noon. I intended to set out next morning at as early an hour as I could. I do not know what gave me my confidence, but I firmly expected to find snow on the ground by that time. I am rather a student of the weather. I worked till late at night getting my cutter ready. I had to adjust my buggy pole and to stow away a great number of parcels. The latter contained the first real doll for my little girl, two or three picture books, a hand sleigh, Pip, a little stuffed dog of the silkiest fluffiness, and as many more trifles for wife and child as my Christmas allowance permitted me to buy. It was the first time in the five years of my married life that, thanks to my wife's cooperation in earning money, there was any Christmas allowance to spend and since i am writing this chiefly for her and the little girl's future reading i want to set it down here too that it was thanks to this very same cooperation that i had been able to buy the horses and the driving outfit which i needed badly for the poor state of my health forbade more rigorous exercise I have already said, I think, that I am essentially an outdoor creature, and for several years the fact that I had been forced to look at the out-of-doors from the window of a town-house only had been eating away at my vitality. Those drives took decades off my age, and in spite of incurable illness my few friends say that I look once more like a young man. Besides my Christmas parcels, I had to take oats along, enough to feed the horses for two weeks. And I was, as I said, engaged that evening in stowing everything away, when about nine o'clock one of the physicians of the town came into the stable. He had had a call into the country, I believe, and came to order a team. When he saw me working in the shed, he stepped up and said, "'You'll kill your horses.' meaning i queried i see you are getting your cutter ready he replied if i were you i should stick to the wheels i laughed i might not be able to get back to work oh yes he scoffed it won't snow up before the end of next month we figure on keeping the cars going for a little while yet again i laughed i hope not i said which may not have sounded very gracious at ten o'clock every bolt had been tightened the horses harness and their feed were ready against the morning and everything looked good to me 
i was going to have the first real christmas again in twenty-five years with a real christmas tree and with wife and child and even though it was a poor man's christmas i refused to let anything darken my christmas spirit or dull the keen edge of my enjoyment before going out i stepped into the office of the stable slipped a half dollar into the hostler's palm and asked him once more to be sure to have the horses fed at half-past five in the morning then i left a slight haze filled the air not heavy enough to blot out the stars but sufficient to promise hoar-frost at least somehow there was no reason to despair as yet of christmas weather i went home and to bed and slept about as soundly as i could wish when the alarm of my clock went off at five in the morning i jumped out of bed and hurried down to shake the fire into activity as soon as i had started something of a blaze i went to the window and looked out it was pitch dark of course the moon being down by this time but it seemed to me that there was snow on the ground I lighted a lamp and held it to the window, and sure enough, its rays fell on white upon white, on shrubs and fence posts and window ledge. I laughed, and instantly was in a glow of impatience to be off. At half past five, when the coffee water was in the kettle and on the stove, I hurried over to the stable across the bridge. The snow was three inches deep, enough to make the going easy for the horses. The slight haze persisted, and I saw no stars. At the stable I found, of course, that the horses had not been fed, so I gave them oats and hay and went to call the hostler. When, after much knocking, at last he responded to my impatience, he wore a guilty look on his face, but assured me that he was just getting up to feed my team. "'Never mind about feeding,' I said. "'I've done that. But have them harnessed and hitched up by a quarter past six. I'll water them on the road.' They never drank their fill before nine o'clock, and I hurried home to get my breakfast. "'Merry Christmas!' the hostler called after me and i shouted back over my shoulder the same to you the horses were going under the merry jingle of the bells which they carried for the first time this winter i rarely could hold them down to a walk or a trot now since the cold weather had set in and mostly before they even had cleared the slide doors they were in a gallop peter had changed his nature since he had a mate by feeding and breeding he was so much dan's superior in vitality that into whatever mischief the two got themselves he was the leader for all times the picture seen by the light of a lantern stands out in my mind how he bit at dan wilfully urging him playfully on when we swung out into the crisp dark hazy morning air dan being nothing loath and always keen at the start we shot across the bridge it was hard now mostly to hitch them up they would leap and rear with impatience when taken into the open before they were hooked to the vehicle 
they were being very well fed and though once a week they had the hardest of work for the rest of the time they had never more than enough to limber them up for on school days i used to take them out for a spin of three or four miles only after four at home when i left my wife and i would get them ready in the stable then i took them out and lined them up in front of the buggy my wife quickly took the lines i hooked the traces up jumped in grabbed for the lines and waved my last farewell from the road afar off even at that they got away from us once or twice and came very near upsetting and wrecking the buggy but nothing serious ever happened during the winter i had to have horses like that for i needed their speed and their staying power as the reader will see if he cares to follow me very much farther we flew along the road seemed ideal the air was wonderfully crisp and cold my cutter fulfilled the highest expectations the horses reveled in speed but soon i pulled them down to a trot for i followed the horseman's rules wherever i could and dan as i mentioned was anyway rather too keen at the start for steady work later on i settled back the top of my cutter was down for not a breath stirred and i was always anxious to see as much of the country as i could do you know which is the stillest hour of the night the hour before dawn it is at that time too that in our winter nights the mercury dips down to its lowest level perhaps the two things have a causal relation whatever there is of wild life in nature withdraws more deeply within itself it curls up and dreams on calm summer mornings you hear no sound except the chirping and twittering of the sleeping birds the birds are great dreamers like dogs like dogs they will twitch and stir in their sleep as if they were running and flying and playing and chasing each other just stalk a bird's nest of which you know at half past two in the morning sometime during the month of july and before you see them you will hear them if there are young birds in the nest all the better take the mother bird off and the little ones will open their beaks all mouth as they are and go to sleep again and they will stretch their featherless little wings and if they are a little bit older they will even try to move their tiny legs as if longing to use them as with dogs it is the young ones that dream most i suppose their impressions are so much more vivid the whole world is so new to them that it rushes in upon them charged with emotion emotions penetrate even us to a greater depth than mere apperceptions so they break through that crust that seems to envelop the seat of our memory and once inside they will work out again into some form of consciousness that of sleep or of the wakeful dream which we call memory the stillest hour in starlit winter nights the heavenly bodies seem to take on an additional splendor something next to blazing overweening boastfulness now sleeps the world they seem to say but we are awake and weaving destiny and on they swing on their immutable paths 
the stillest hour if you step out of a sleeping house and are alone you are apt to hold your breath and if you are not you are apt to whisper there is an expectancy in the air a fatefulness a loud word would be blasphemy that offends the ear and the feeling of decency it is the hour of all still things the silent things that pass like dreams through the night you seem to stand hushed stark and bare stripped of all accidentals the universe swings on its way the stillest hour but how much stiller than still when the earth has drawn over its shoulders that morning mist that allows of no slightest breath when under the haze the very air seems to lie curled and to have gone to sleep and yet how portentous the haze seems to brood it seems somehow to suggest that there is all of life asleep on earth you seem to feel rather than to hear the whole creation breathing in its sleep as if it was soundlessly stirring in dreams presently to stretch to awake there is also the delicacy the tenderness of all young things about it even in winter it reminds me of the very first unfolding of young leaves on trees of the few hours while they are still hanging down unable to raise themselves up as yet they look so worldly wise sometimes so precocious and before them there still lie all hopes and all disappointments in clear nights you forget the earth under the hazy cover your eye is thrown back upon it it is the contrast of the universe and of creation we drove along and slowly slowly came the dawn you could not define how it came the whole world seemed to pale and to whiten and that was all there was no sunrise it merely seemed as if all of nature very gradually was soaking itself full of some light it was dim at first but never gray and then it became the whitest the clearest the most undefinable light there were no shadows under the brush of the wild land which i was skirting by now there seemed to be quite as much of luminosity as overhead the mist was the thinnest haze and it seemed to derive its whiteness as much from the virgin snow on the ground as from above i could not cease to marvel at this light which seemed to be without a source like the halo around the saviour's face the eye as yet did not reach very far and wherever i looked i found but one word to describe it impalpable and that is saying what it was not rather than what it was as i said there was no sunshine but the light was there omnipresent diffused coming mildly softly but from all sides and out of all things as well as into them shakespeare has this word in macbeth and i had often pondered on it so fair and foul a day i have not seen 
this was it i thought we have such days about four or five times a year and none but the northern countries have them there are clouds or rather there is a uniform layer of cloud very high and just the slightest suggestion of curdiness in it and the light is very white these days seem to waken in me every wander instinct that lay asleep there is nothing definite nothing that seems to be emphasized something seems to beckon to me and to invite me to take to my wings and just glide along without beating of wings as if i could glide without sinking glide and still keep my height if you see the sun at all as i did not on this day of days he stands away up very distant and quite aloof he looks more like the moon than like his own self white and heatless and lightless as if it were not he at all from whom all this transparency and visibility proceeded i have lived in southern countries and i have traveled rather far for a single lifetime like an epic stretch my memories into dim and ever-receding pasts i have drunk full and deep from the cup of creation the southern cross is no strange sight to my eyes i have slept in the desert close to my horse and i have walked on lebanon i have cruised in the seven seas and seen the white marvels of ancient cities reflected in the wave of incredible blueness but then i was young when the years began to pile up i longed to stake off my horizons to flatten out my views i wanted the simpler the more elemental things things cosmic in their associations nearer to the beginning or end of creation the parrot that flashed through nutmeg groves did not hold out so much allurement as the simple gray and slaty junco the things that are unobtrusive and differentiated by shadings only gray in gray above all like our northern woods like our sparrows our wolves they hold a more compelling attraction than orgies of color and screams of sound so i came home to the north on days like this however i should like once more to fly out and see the tireless wave and the unconquerable rock but i should like to see them from afar and dimly only as moses saw the promised land or i should like to point them out to a younger soul and remark upon the futility and innate vanity of things and because these days take me out of myself because they change my whole being into a very indefinite longing and dreaming i wilfully blot from my vision whatever enters if i meet a tree i see it not if i meet a man i pass him by without speaking i do not care to be disturbed i do not care to follow even a definite thought there is sadness in the mood such sadness as enters strange to say into a great and very definitely expected disappointment 
it is an exceedingly delicate sadness haughty aloof like the sun and like him cool to the outer world it does not even want sympathy it merely wants to be left alone it strangely chimed in with my mood on this particular and very perfect morning that no jolt shook me up that we glided along over virgin snow which had come soft-footedly overnight in a motion so smooth and silent as to suggest that wingless flight we spurned the miles and i saw them not as if in a dream we turned in at one of the half-way farms and the horses drank and we went on and wound our way across that corner of the marsh we came to the white range line house and though there were many things to see i still closed the eye of conscious vision and saw them not we neared the bridge and we crossed it and then when i had turned southeast on to the winding log road through the bush at last the spell that was cast over me gave way and broke my horses fell into their accustomed walk and at last i saw now what i saw may not be worth the describing i do not know it surely is hardly capable of being described but if i had been led through fairy lands or enchanted gardens i could not have been awakened to a truer day of joy to a greater realization of the good will towards all things than i was here oh the surpassing beauty of it there stood the trees motionless under that veil of mist and not their slenderest finger but was clothed in white and the white it was a translucent white receding into itself with strange backgrounds of white behind it a modest white and yet full of pride an elusive white and yet firm and substantial the white of a diamond lying on snow-white velvet the white of a diamond in diffused light none of the sparkle and color play that the most precious of stones assumes under a definite limited light which proceeds from a definite limited source its color play was suggested it is true but so subdued that you hardly thought of naming or even recognizing its component parts there was no red or yellow or blue or violet but merely that which might flash into red and yellow and blue and violet should perchance the sun break forth and monopolize the luminosity of the atmosphere there was as it were a latent opalescence and every twig and every bough every branch and every limb every trunk and every crack even in the bark was furred with it it seemed as if the hoar-frost still continued to form it looked heavy and yet it was nearly without weight not a twig was bent down under its load yet with its halo of frost it measured fully two inches across the crystals were large formed like spearheads flat slab-like yet of infinite thinness and delicacy so thin and light that 
when by misadventure my whip touched the boughs the flakes seemed to float down rather than to fall and every one of these flat and angular slabs was fringed with hair-like needles or with feather-like needles and longer needles stood in between there was such an air of fragility about it all that you hated to touch it and i for one took my whip down lest it shook bare too many boughs whoever has seen the trees like that and who has not will see with his mind's eye what i am trying to suggest rather than to describe it was never the single sight nor the isolated thing that made my drives the things of beauty which they were there was nothing remarkable in them either they were commonplace enough i really do not know why i should feel urged to describe our western winters whatever i may be able to tell you about them is yours to see and yours to interpret the gifts of nature are free to all for the asking and yet so it seems to me there is in the agglomerations of scenes and impressions as they followed each other in my experience something of the quality of a great symphony and i consider this quality as a free and undeserved present which chance or nature shook out of her cornucopia so it happened to fall at my feet i am trying to render this quality here for you on that short mile along the first of the east-west grades before again i turned into the bush i was for the thousandth time in my life struck with the fact how winter blots out the sins of utility what is useful is often ugly because in our fight for existence we do not always have time or effort to spare to consider the looks of things but the slightest cover of snow will bury the eyesores snow is the great equalizer in nature no longer are there fields and wild lands beautiful trails and ugly grades all are hidden away under that which comes from nature's purest hands and fertile thoughts alone now there was no longer the raw offending scar on nature's body just a smooth expanse of snow-white ribbon that led afar that led afar and here is a curious fact on this early december morning it was only a little after nine when i started the horses into their trot again i noticed for the first time that this grade which sprang here out of the bush opened up to the east a vista into a seemingly endless distance twenty-six times i had gone along this piece of it but thirteen times it had been at night and thirteen times i had been facing west when i went back to the scene of my work so i had never looked east very far this morning however in this strange light which was at this very hour undergoing a subtle change that i could not define as yet mile after mile of road seemed to lift itself up in the far away distance as if you might drive on forever through fairyland 
the very fact of its straightness flanked as it was by the rows of frosted trees seemed like a call and a feeling that is very familiar to me that of an eternity in the perpetuation of whatever may be the state i happen to be in came over me and a desire to go on and on for ever and to see what might be beyond but then the turn into the bushy trail was reached i did not see the slightest sign of it on the road but dan seemed infallible he made the turn and again i was in winter's enchanted palace again the slight whirl in the air that our motion set up made the fairy tracery of the boughs shower down upon me like snow-white petals of flowers so delicate that to disturb the virginity of it all seemed like profaning the temple of the all-highest but then i noticed that i had not been the first one to visit the woods all over their soft napped carpet floor there were the restless fleeting tracks of snowflake birds lacing and interlacing in lines and loops as if they had been assembled in countless numbers as no doubt they had and every track looked like nothing so much as like that kind of embroidery done white upon white which ladies i think call the feather stitch in places i could clearly see how they had chased and pursued each other running and there was a merriness about their spores a suggestion of swiftness which made me look up and about to see whether they were not wheeling their restless curves and circles overhead but in this i was disappointed for the moment though only a little later i was to see them in numbers galore it was on that last stretch of my road when i drove along the dam of the angling ditch there they came like a whirlwind and wheeled and curved and circled about as if they knew no enemy feeding meanwhile with infallible skill from the tops of seed-bearing weeds while skimming along but i am anticipating just now in the bush i saw only their trails yet they suggested their twittering and whistling even there and since on the gloomiest day their sound and their sight will cheer you you surely cannot help feeling glad and overflowing with joy when you see any sign of them on a day like this meanwhile we were winging along ourselves so it seemed for there was the second east-west grade ahead and that made me think of wife and child to whom i was coming like santa claus and so i stopped under a bush that overhung the trail and though i hated to destroy even a trifling part of the beauty around i reached high up with my whip and let go at the branches so that the moment before the horses bolted the flakes showered down upon me and my robes and the cutter and changed me into a veritable snowman in snow-white garb and then up on the grade one mile to the east and the bridge appeared it did not look like the work of man apart from its straight lines it resembled more the architecture of a forest brook as it will build after heavy fall rains followed by a late drought when all the waters of the wild are receding 
so that the icy cover stands above them like the arches of a bridge it is strange how rarely the work of man will really harmonize with nature the beaver builds and his work will blend man builds and it jars very likely because he mostly builds with silly pretensions but in winter nature breathes upon his handiwork and transforms it bridges may be imposing and of great artificial beauty in cities as for instance the ancient structure that spans the tiber just below the tomb of hadrian or among modern works the spider-web engineering feat of brooklyn bridge but if in the wilderness we run across them there is something incongruous about them and they disturb strange to say there is the exception of high-flung trellis viaducts bridging the chasm of mountain canyons maybe it is exactly on account of their unpretentious plain utility or is it that they reconcile by their overweening boldness by their very paradoxality as there is beauty even in the hawk's bloodthirsty savagery Today this bridge was like the grades like the trees and the meadows furred over with opalescent feathery frost and the dam over which i am driving now this dam that erstwhile was a very blasphemy an obscenity flung on the marshy meadows with their reeds their cattails and their wide-leaved swamp dock clusters it had been used by the winds as a veritable dumping-ground for obnoxious weeds which grew and thrived on the marley clay while every other plant despised it not that i mean to decry weeds far be it from me when the golden-rod flings its velvet cushions along the edge of the copses or when the dandelion spangles the meadows they are things of beauty as well as any tulip or tiger lily but when they or their rivals silverweed burdock false ragweed thistles gumweed and others usurp the landscape and seem to choke up the very earth and the very air with ceaseless monotony and repetition then they become an offence to the eye and a reproach to those who tolerate them to-day however they all lent their stocks to support the hoar-frost to double and quadruple its total mass they were powdered over with countless diamonds it was here that i met with the flocks of snowflake birds and if my joyous mood had admitted of any enhancement they would have given it and never before had i seen the school and the cottage from quite so far the haze was still there but somehow it seemed to be further overhead now with a stratum of winter-clear air underneath once before when driving along the first east-west grade where i discovered the vista i had wondered at the distance to which the eye could pierce here on the dam of course my vision was further aided by the fact that whatever of trees and shrubs there was in the way and a ridge of poplars ran at right angles to the ditch throwing up a leafy curtain in summer stood bare 
of its foliage i was still nearly four miles from my home when i first beheld it and how pitiably lonesome it looked not another house was to be seen in its neighborhood i touched the horses up with my whip i felt as if i should fly across the distance and bring my presence to those in the cottage as their dearest gift they knew i was coming they were at this very moment flying to meet me with their thoughts was i well was i finding everything as i had wished to find it and though i often told them how i loved and enjoyed my drives they could not view them but with much anxiety for they were waiting 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 on thursday for friday to come waiting on wednesday and tuesday and monday waiting on sunday even as soon as i had left counting the days and the hours and the minutes till i was out fighting storm and night to my heart's content and then worry 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 what might not happen whatever my drives were to me to them they were horrors there never were watchers of weather and sky so anxiously eager as they and when as it often too often happened the winter storms came when care rose hope fell then i was clouded thought dulled heart aflutter sometimes the soul sought comfort from nearest neighbors and not always was it vouchsafed well they would say if he starts out to-day he will kill his horses or in weather like this i should not care to drive five miles surely surely i owe it to them staunch faithful hearts that they were to set down this record so that it may gladden the lonesome twilight hours that are sure to come and at last i swung west again up the ridge and on to the yard and there on the porch stood the tall young smiling woman and at her knee the fairest-haired girl in all the world and quite unconscious of nature's wonder garb though doubtlessly gladdened by it the little girl shrilled out oh daddy daddy did you see santa claus and i replied lustily of course my girl i am coming straight from his palace end of section four